Alrighty, noobers, strap in. Get ready for Andy from Stalk Outdoors Podcast. G'day, guys. My name is Shrek, the host of the Noob Spiro Podcast. It's interviews with Spiro frothers from all over the planet. Today, it's a it's Andy from a Stalk Outdoors Podcast. His podcast is yarns with Spiros, bow hunters, fishing fanatics, and adventures lovers from around the world. Um, he, you know, he teases out their tips, tricks, and stories as they choose to travel down a path less traveled. Jeepers, I could go on and on about Andy. He reached out to me before he started his podcast, and uh, he's such a gentleman about it. And I tell you what, he has taken to podcasting with uh, with passion, determination. And a hell of a lot of skill, I've got to be honest. Um, his podcast is absolutely epic. I've got to give you the hot tip. Um, if you want to go and have a look, check it out. S- search it up. It is the Stalk Outdoors podcast. Um, he's got a couple of cracker episodes with Spiros, if you just want to get into spearfishing ones. Uh, he's had Trevor Ketchian, Tim McDonald. Uh, he's had Zachary Schmidt on. He's had one of his good mates, Cody Matthews, on, the Cray King. Um as well as a whole bunch of bow hunters and shot IQ guy Joel Turner was his most recent episode. It's an absolute. Uh, it's like with a book, you have a page turner. I'm not sure what you say with a podcast though, but Jeep is like, um, I had my ear tuned right into this episode because there is some really, really awesome stuff in there for learning meta skills in life, breaking them down into their component bits and learning how to think and not just have thoughts. So really cool episode. Anyway, I could go on and on. Uh, I'm probably going to make Andy blush because uh, his podcast is just absolutely banging. Stalk Outdoors podcast, guys. Check it out. Before we get into the interview with uh, Andy, and I had an absolute blinder, by the way. Uh, This was recorded live. Andy and I met up in Brizzy to do this one. So check it out. Before we get there, a couple of quickies. Uh, let's get into it. Noob Spiro Spearfishing got a review on Google. Adam, who came with me on the Sundays trip, he says, had an epic trip to the Sundays with the Noob Spiro Spearfishing and Salt Sessions freediving. The stars uh, don't align for a trip with the dive crew back home. You can only organize something solo, then jump on these trips. They are not just for the solo wanderer. You'll find new crew from the second you meet everyone, see so much life in the water, get onto some great fish, and have an all-around frothing good time. This was my second time on the Sundays trip, and there may be a third. So I hope Adam joins us next year. 2024 dates are coming up. They will be up on spearfishingcourses.com.au. Um, it's going to be August 2024. Second week of August 2024. So sign up for that trip at spearfishingcourses.com.au. Uh, also, Trevor Ketchian is running another frothing raffle uh, on our intermediate spearfishing course. It's from November 2nd to 5th on North Stradbroke Island. Tim McDonald, Trevor Ketchian, Tom Sandstrom, and myself are running a course to help frothers upgrade their spearfishing game this is an intermediate course uh if you're diving sort of somewhere in that eight to 20 meter range uh and want to up your skills this is a master class taught by the current australian spearfishing champion the current queensland spearfishing champion uh a coffs harbour spearfishing legend uh, i'm hoping to partner up with tom next year in the aussies as well over in wa these guys are legends and it's an absolute pleasure to be able to bring this course to you but trevor's got a raffle up so you can get in uh This course is $1,599, and he is raffling these off for, I think, 
I'm going to say 30 to 50 a ticket, but get involved. Follow Trevor Ketchian on Instagram or Facebook. Message him to buy yourself some tickets. It's a great fundraiser for the Inter-Pacific's effort for the Australian team headed over to New Zealand next year. Get amongst it. Trevor Ketchian on socials to follow that. Otherwise, you can check that course out, spearfishingcourses.com.au. Ben. Recently got over and did the beginner spearfishing course with me. Actually, it was just this weekend, just gone, uh, first weekend of September. He says, I come away with so much from this trip and have so many good memories, and I'm chomping at the bit to get back in the water tomorrow, hopefully, to go and chase some fish. I found this course was very well prepared and planned and is perfect for any level of freediver or spearer. For me, I've come from a freediving side, but I still love refreshing my memory on the basics taught in the Level 1 course. My knowledge and experience of the spearfishing side is very limited. It was very limited at the start of the course, but thanks to yourself, Bree and Tommy's talking to me, I'm blushing. Come the end of the trip, I felt I had learnt so much that I now feel much more confident to do this more often and reach out to other Sparrows who may be looking for a buddy to dive with. All in all, you've done a fantastic job putting together uh, something like this spearfishing course. I can't recommend this highly enough to anyone wanting to learn freediving and spearfishing or just to come out and hang with a bunch of frothing legends and try something new. Uh, check that out at spearfishingcourses.com.au. Longer intro today, guys. Uh, bear with me. Last one. As usual, the Adreno Sydney Kingfish Cup is coming up uh, and you guys need to get involved in it. The Kingfish Cup is about sparing one kingfish. Uh, over one weekend in Sydney's prime kingfish season. Traditionally, this is late October through November. Uh, it's held in the greater Sydney area, so I know guys in the Central Coast region compete, uh, even heading down sort of, I think, the South Coast as well. Some of those guys get into it as well. Um, Little Manly, Terrigal, uh, all of those sorts of guys, they're all entering it. Check it out. Here's a couple of quick dates to remember. August 31st, the flyer comes out. September the 4th, uh, sponsors letter comes out. September 21st, Kingfish Cup promo. Push begins on social media. On November the 2nd, guys, there's an information night in Sydney about the Kingfish Cup have, a, have an ear to the ground for that. If you want to follow USFA on socials, you'll find out more and more there. But check it out, the Kingfish Cup held down in Sydney. Hey, I've been blathering on and on and on and on. I've I got to tell you, I've, I've had a fair bit of news and I've, I'm chomping at the bit to get into this episode because Andy is an absolute legend. So here we go. Andy from the Stalk Outdoors podcast. Let's get into it. My partner and I are getting into spearfishing and didn't know where to start. The staff here at the Adreno Woolengaber store were great and spent a lot of time with us helping work out exactly what we needed. We'll be going back whenever I need more gear. That review from Lachlan. Buy your spearfishing gear at Adreno. They've got huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country or you can shop online at adreno.com.au. Even better, sweeten it up with the code NoobSpiro. Save yourself $20 on every purchase over $200. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Absolutely mint customer service. Specialty spearfishing equipment, elite spear gun performance components, unforgettable reliability. You want to find out where to buy this? Punchandneptonics.com and shop at the best US spearfishing store, neptonics.com. Free shipping to the lower 48 when you spend over 199 and you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10%. This is your chance to save DOSH. Buy deadly good gear and experience A-grade customer service. Will you shop with the best? Visit naptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to start shooting 35-pound muttons tomorrow. 
actual performance may differ from advertisement. Please refer to terms and conditions to see if you're eligible to be a legend like Shrek. This advertisement was not even endorsed by Jerry and the team at Neutonics. Oorah and God bless America. I just love a functional and simple spear gun that I can trust when I pull the trigger. Killshot spear guns utilize the finest of kiln-dried Burmese teak. Killshot spear guns also combine American-made parts and fine craftsmanship to bring you accurate, reliable, and simple spear guns that you can trust fish after fish. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Uber. That's $30 off American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. I'm really sorry for this terrible accent. Brought to you by Ed Martin at killshotspearguns.com. G'day legends, welcome back to the Noob Sparrow Podcast. I'm uh, doing a live interview, which is an absolute pleasure for a change. We've got some um, hectic gear if you're watching maybe the video on YouTube um, for a change. Noob Sparrow Podcast is normally much more garage than this. <laughs> so um, Andy's got a bit more of a, a setup than me. Andy runs uh, the Stalk Outdoors podcast. It's uh, He's like 10 or 11 episodes deep. Um, but we've chatted for a few years backwards and forwards. He used to like the podcast and uh, <laughs> reached out to me, started his podcast, and I tell you what, he's going from strength to strength. Like, um, definitely a, a solid effort, my friend. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, Shrek. Yeah, we, uh, big fan of your podcast, mate. Uh, I think yeah, 2014 when I first started listening to the episodes and. <laughs> What are you up to? I think it's two thirty odd or something like something that. Like now. that. Yeah. And yeah. mate, I would have listened to I'd say ninety nine percent of them. So yeah. Uh big fan of the show and reached out to you a while ago, I guess for permission. <laughs> mate, no permission needed. It's a rising tide. But honestly, like I um I was listening to one of your episodes, like you you had Tim McDonald on, Trevor Ketchin, and they were just absolutely phenomenal episodes. I was almost like Hang on a sec here. These guys are interviewing better for you than they did for me. <laughs> the fricks. The, honestly, like the information on those two episodes alone, like those two boys, they are um, they are like top of our food chain in terms of knowledge and information and getting them to share it is, is kind of the next part of it. But, um, yeah, you did well. Yeah, well, thanks, mate. Yeah, I was a little bit nervous sort of, you know, reaching out to them and uh, kicking off the podcast. Mm. Bit of imposter syndrome, maybe, or you know, preaching to the choir here, brother. Yeah, yeah. so but no, they were really good. Uh, everyone's been really good. Uh, yourself, like helping me out a little bit in the background, and yeah, a bit of mentorship. So, like I said, not to ask for permission, but really just uh, as a mark of respect to you who've been doing this for a long time. And yeah, just sort of uh, there's a couple of podcasts I like listening to with spearing and a bit of bow hunting stuff, which is a mix of my podcast, a little mm. bit, a little bit different. and uh, it wasn't enough content out there for me. I was hungry for it. I'd listened to your episode on the very first day and then I'm like, what am I going to do for the rest, for the next two weeks? <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll start one. So, yeah, that's how it sort of came mm. about. Back in the day, Turbo and I too, we were, we were like really intermittent. It was supposed to be like a monthly episode or a three-weekly thing and like our schedules sort of went up and down. You've been pretty like – and maybe it's a mark of you as a person. You seem to be pretty good at keeping a bit of a schedule. Like you've been solid with releasing interviews and stuff like that. And setting up a system, I'm really enjoying it. So, Stalk Outdoors podcast, like um, I'm not shining Andy, Andy on. Honestly, it's a magic podcast, particularly those two episodes with Trevor and Tim. If you're into your spearfishing, and uh, and I've even enjoyed like the survival guy you had on recently. That was cool, man. You're asking good questions already, and it's a solid listen. Oh, thanks, mate. That's pretty humbling, as I said to 
even be sitting down here uh, with you. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been really good. They're, I'm super interested in those guys. Uh, mm. I love learning and having them on. I did reach out to them. They, you know, they are two of the biggest sort of guys, but I really wanted to get them on. I tried to be respectful to them, of course, not asking them for their spear fishing spots or anything like that, which, you know, it wasn't about that. But I, I there was a heap of knowledge I know that those boys have. And, yeah, they were super forthcoming. I, I have chatted with Trevor a fair bit. Mm. I, I'm up in sort of Cairnsway now and I still reach out to him about different things for my setups and, and even when I come down here, he's been super helpful over years for me. So I reached out to him. He's like, man, 100%. So, uh, yeah, those boys, I'm super appreciative that they came on and I have had some reasonably good feedback that, uh, that, that people will learn a fair bit off those, of those fellas. One thing I'm digging at here too with the calibre of people you've had on your show is that it speaks highly of your character but also the way you're conducting yourself in the interview. You've identified already that like talking about spots on any form of media is a surefire way to make sure Spiros, like experienced Spiros, never want to talk to you because like <laughs> giving away the locations and there are certain trade secrets that like they need to be earned and – I said to someone a while ago, the worst thing for me, the idea of going out on a boat with Tim would be if he took me to a spot, I would never be able to go there and find it on my own because it would always be Tim's spot. And there's a certain thing about being spoon-fed, like you've got to kind of respect this process. It's great to honour people, but then you've got to kind of protect the ethics and the secrecy side of things as well to make sure that you continue to attract those type of people into your world. How does that work in the bow hunting side of things? Well, mate, it's exactly the same principle, you know, and first things first, really. So I've been heavily into spearfishing for years. It's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine and, as I said, moving up towards like um, far north Queensland, Port Douglas sort of way, the weather was getting a bit shit here and there. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, what is there something else I can get obsessed with uh, that will provide the opportunity to source my own meat? That was sort of a priority in my life. You know, working out where the protein was coming from rather than just, you know, going in the store and buying something that who knows where it even came from. Mm. So I had a mate that introduced me to bow hunting and he – I bought a bow off, like a secondhand sort of high-level secondhand bow off him and got it all fitted out for me and the last 15, 16 months been shooting archery and I have shot a few pigs and stuff like that but I'm by no means an expert bow hunter. But I know for a fact talking to people – uh, another reason for starting the podcast was to learn as much as I possibly could. I didn't have a lot of mentors up that far far north Queensland there you know, in the bow hunting world that I could sort of just go, hey, you know, uh, I guess same as spearing when you're first starting out. How do you, you know, how do you go reaching out to people or, you know, how do you make those approaches to people? So, yeah. that you know, I thought I'll start the podcast. I'll be able to learn a lot and maybe share with other people who are learning. But yeah. uh, it's definitely the same type of thing. You know, you, you're not just going to walk up to someone and say, hey, one of the premier sort of bow hunting guys and say, hey, take me bow hunting. How do I get on that property with to get these deers or just, you know, doing cold approaches to landowners and stuff like that. You, you have to earn the respect off those people and, yeah, you know, like having contacts obviously in the industry will, will help uh, people get onto land and stuff, but it is a tough thing to do as a junior bow hunter to try and work out or how am I going to get myself into this industry? But, you know, yeah. there's a lot of archery clubs and things like same as like with, with the spear, spear fishing. fishing. You yeah. know, it's, it's very similar. You know, you're not going to – or someone takes you to this place, you're not going to go there again. Well, good luck to you if you – you know, it's the yeah. same. You, know, you go to a dive spot, someone takes you there, you're not going to – you're not going there without that person. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was just thinking as you were talking, like there's a lot of pragmatic sort of like like almost like when you talk to farmers, there's, there's, there's this practical level of intelligence to them and Spiros and I'd imagine bow hunters, I, I'd only know a very small group of them, they're, they're very astute people and they're able to discern people's character fairly quickly and get a good feel for you. So like you – and that's because a lot of people have been burnt in all of these spaces. Like, you know, if you own a farm or you own land, some dickhead's gone in there and shot up the place or – crossed over into their neighbour's property and done something, the, these dodgy things happen. And the spearfishing, like you go on someone's boat, they take you to their secret spot and then the next thing you know, you rock up there the next week and they're there with a boat of their mates. Like these things are the burn marks and a lot of these people, like they are accustomed to it and that's why there are high levels of secrecy in this game. So, But like being the person you are, I can see why you're having some success with them just because you've got a good sense of integrity about you, even the way you sort of started your podcast. Um, That's got to go a long ways to doing it, I reckon. It's just about having respect for people, I think, and knowing, you know, just knowing the right thing to do and doing, having some sort of integrity, as you said, you know, a lot of farmers, there's a lot of dickheads in the world. There's dickheads in spearing, there's dickheads in bow hunting, there's dickheads in life. We all know, Mm, mm. we all know that, but I think... The problem is, you know, one person can ruin it for for everyone else. And I know you guys have talked about it heaps on your podcast. You know, we're representing everyone. When you go out spearing, and you're representing the whole community. So, you know, think about that. As a junior spearer, you probably don't think about that. But the longer you've been doing it for, what you're taking, the way mm. you're doing it, the way you know, you're, you're on notice. So a lot of farm owners have been burnt, as you said, by dickheads. So a lot of people are reluctant to let people just cold approaches as you would be, I imagine. But mm. I've had success in just meeting, you know, people I've met and then I guess vouching for me a little bit and then meeting the person, not talking, oh, hey, can I come hunt on your land on the very first day you meet them, struck up a, a, a friendship and then they've almost offered it up and gone, hey, mm. I know you're into this. Or my mate said, hey, my mate's into bow hunting. but And then you might go out there, give them a hand to do a bit of work around the property. They'll go out there, take you on a tour around. And I found that the small amount of time I've been doing it, they couldn't be more... Accommodating and yeah. friendly. and I'm like, oh, yeah. here's a quad bike, here's this. Use this. And I'm like, oh, it's all right, mate. Thanks so much for having yeah. me here, you know. It's, yeah. a pri- it's a privilege to be on their land, so just respecting the people and then you'll get invites back, you know. Yeah. I, I remember dating this girl. She's from another country and another culture and uh, some of your analogies cross over directly into dating too. Like you don't go from not knowing them to then trying to go, you know, and score all the way on the first time you meet them. You, you're going to build, you know. And, and then it got me to thinking, you know, like cultures are a funny thing. Like a lot of Australian New Zealand people – um, and I'd say this is common for hunters and sparrows all over the world. They There are a lot of really solid, really good people. But um, because there are these snakes, like the trust is burnt, built slowly. And, um, you know, sometimes it's not the friendliest people that are the ones that are trustworthy, you know, often like mm-hmm. it's a used car salesman type thing, you know. So, yeah, so that's awesome. You, you're doing the right thing with that side of things. I want to come back to bow hunting. I want to talk to you about... Um, I thought they were called Sheetle Deer, but uh, uh, I was listening to your podcast. It's Chittle. Chittle. Yeah. Chittle, yeah. Axis, American Axis, uh, mm. Axis, but Chittle, yeah, Chittle. Oh, it's the same species. Yeah, axis is the same uh, species, just a different name, basically, uh, you know, same as, I guess, with the Spanish mackerel or, or king mackerel or whatever, you know, so. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and cilantro and 
coriander and all these other things that we do, all this stupid shit with all over the world. Yeah, um, let's go back to your spearing journey. So it sounds like a lot of these skills that you've learned in terms of building trust and meeting people, um, it's transferring throughout your life, whether it's finding a hunting property, whether it's getting guests for the podcast. So I think that's something I wanted to draw attention to straight away. Like if you're young in this game, then I, I definitely think that Andy's got something that we can all learn from. It's it's kind of, you know, this wisdom that comes from time, uh, but you can tap into some of it here. Um Back to your spearfishing journey. So you lived in Brisbane a long time. Is that where spearfishing started for you? I grew up in Canberra, humble beginnings in cold little Canberra. Uh, I was in a like a loving family, parents, awesome parents, uh, great great upbringing, but my old man worked his guts out to give us a better life, I reckon, than what he probably had and didn't free up a whole lot of time for him to have any other sort of hobbies and stuff like that and was – as I said, worked his guts out. So it was a lot of time was spent away from us. So uh, I wouldn't say we were like a super outdoorsy type of family, but I had a couple of mates up like that lived close to me and their parents were like heavily into camping and stuff like that. And uh, I got invited to go camping with them a few times and we'd, we'd just like they had a canoe and stuff like that. And it was down around, we used to go camping around Eden, so like sort of south coast, New South Wales, mm. fairly cold sort of area, beautiful uh, campsites and there was like uh, estuaries flowing into the ocean and stuff like that. So we'd go fishing from sun up to sundown, catching Taylor and just doing all the things that, you know, making bow and arrows and shooting bloody whatever we could with whatever we could make that would shoot. Anything that yep. would sort of fire a mechanism of firing, something like that. Yep. Uh, just heavily into it as a kid. So we'd go, we went down there camping heaps and I remember one afternoon my mate's dad's like, well, my mate's like, my dad's a skin diver. And I'm like, fucking, what's a skin diver? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's such a like, uh, it's a strange term, isn't it? I don't yeah. know where it even comes from. I, I need to learn about the history of that. Let's go, yeah. Sorry, I, and we I digress. And I haven't heard that for a long time. Like, But yeah, my dad's a skin diver. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, hey, we're going to go and catch some fish. And I was like, cool. Here's a pair of goggles. And a shit pair of bodyboarding fins. Or I, was, I think I was about 12 years old. And out we went. And I'm thinking, what? Like he had a wetsuit on and. One of them, one of the big old school masks, you know, the like Barry Paxman, yeah, Barley style yeah. mask, single yep. single lens, and uh, he's like, "Oh, Dad's going to duck dive now. He's going to go and sp- like spear some fish." And I'm like, "Holy crap!" Okay, and I hadn't really done heaps of like I had a, I had a swimming background, so I was I was confident in the water, but you know, swimming out around the headlands stuff was like, "Holy fuck, sharks and that sort of thing," you know, yeah. as a young fella. Anyway, he was really good. Good mentor to us. Anyway, down he goes and shoots. I can't even remember what sort of fish. It would have been about seven meters water. He goes down. Holds his breath for what I thought was an eternity. Spears, a mowong, whatever it was. A couple of fish. Had him on a – I think he put him on his belt, whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, holy crap, who, who, who is this guy? Like that that was like amazing to me to see that. And I'm like – and then we took him back. He showed us how to field him, put him on the fire, and we ate him for dinner. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's me. Life goal, yeah. number one. So that's where it all started. He gave us like a little Hawaiian sling. We started spearing like uh, in the creeks and stuff like that probably illegally back in the day, this, you know, this is 30 years ago nearly now probably. But, uh, you know, spearing brim, flatties with a little horns, uh, sling for, we'll be in the water for six, eight hours, you know, all day and uh, just loved it. So sort of got into it there, end up getting a sea hornet for me. 18th birthday or something. Off. I think my brother might have bought me the old sea hornet. Yeah, Most people have had, I think yeah. it's probably a single rubber. You know, how do you even shoot something with one of them things? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so, it like it's the gateway drug into spear guns for so many people though. Yeah. Like you're you're like you're tickling on stuff that I've listened to so many times, and I, I I was thinking like, 
you know, some of the marine parks legislation down there, you know, the proposed stuff that would cut kids out of accessing the natural environment like that, I almost feel like it's a crime against humanity. Like we all want to manage the fishery better for the future, but there's nothing like putting kids in touch with real nature and real food. Like, and it's led you to live a romantic life full of, you know, the wonder and majesty of the environment and getting in and hunting and enjoying it. I don't want to take that from the next generation. So it uh, it made me a little bit like I got a bit angry actually, like just yeah. like thinking about kids being not given the same opportunities that you had. So because yeah, I don't think you I don't think you can legally spear like estuaries like that now anyway. All these regulations on certain areas. I know in the yeah. Tweed and stuff that you know there's certain areas you can and can't. But yeah, certainly cut my teeth doing that, and we'd go every year and. I uh, sort of got more into it, but then yeah, my brother bought me a seahorn. I think we'd go, we'd just go. It was all shore diving, you know. We didn't, we didn't have no money, so we'd just go shore diving and just uh, lay in waste to pretty much anything that swam past. Which you know, as a young stupid young fella, I think back now, I'm like, oh my god, you know, like managing fisheries and all that stuff. That does you don't think about that as a young kid. I didn't probably have super good spearing mentors that could have showed me the ropes a little bit yeah. more. But you know, it was. It was what it was. It was a formative experience regardless. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, fond memories out there doing, you know, crazy things and, uh, yeah, just spearing fish and then basically just sort of fell away from it a, a little bit, you know, got into the trades and bought houses young and was probably on the grind pretty hard for a fair few years before I sort of met a couple of ex-Navy guys who were good divers and got – a couple of invites and I could hold my breath okay and they were like, hey, man, you know, gave me a bit of mentorship and I sort of picked it up again and started a little bit more seriously and those boys sort of convinced me to look at maybe some commercial sort of dive stuff. So, yeah, sort of, that's how it sort of kicked off. Talking about Navy divers and living in uh, northern Queensland, do you know Rick Batour? Yeah, I don't, I don't know him personally but, I, yeah, certainly know him. Obviously a legend in the game and I would – um, I plan to hopefully reach out to him. Me too. Yeah. I'm going to beat you to it. <laughs> I've been reading his book too, like slowly, like, man, it's a good read. Um, wait till you get into it. Bloody good read, actually. Um, for people wanting to – I can't remember the title of the – of the. it's, it's uh, semi-biographical. Oh, well, it's, it's fully biographical but not autobiographical. He had another co-writer, I think. Yeah, right. But, uh, mate, some awesome uh, – a life well lived for sure for Rick and um, – Amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be cool. But um, the Navy guys, you um, <clears throat> sort of had some experience with, were you, did you guys start heading out offshore? I mean, what did that look like? Yeah, I was still sort of shore diving in that, like uh, also one of the police divers, I think he might be a Patreon Hawley, Tim. Oh, uh, yeah, shout nice. Out to Hawley, yeah, yeah. He was a police diver and yeah. I, I went spearing with those boys a few times. He's like, okay, man, you can hold your breath all right. Do you have a background in the water? And we had a jiu-jitsu background. That's where I sort of met those fellas. Yeah. And uh, – yeah, started going out and, you know, it was pretty loose back in the day. I think I can remember a quick story actually. I was diving with Hawley. He's pretty straight sort of with down the line. With Phil as well or just Timbo? Uh, just Tim, yeah. yeah. And Tim, I think it was down at Tartha or something like that and okay. there, was a heap of, there was a heap of fishermen on the, on you know, all the linos yeah. uh, throwing there and I've, duck, I've, I've swam down. I, I, I shot a pretty good king, I'm pretty sure, right next to him. I swam past and held it up to him. I was like, yeah, boys. <laughs> And he's like, mate, what are you doing? Like, you're, don't be a fool, you know. Don't be a cowboy, sort of, because he's he's a pretty level-headed sort of a guy. And yeah, uh, but yeah. So went went down with those guys, and I actually struck up some friendships with a couple of uh, uh, higher-end type clearance divers and that. And mm. they were like, man, you know, you're quite natural in the water. Have you thought about spending more time in the water commercially, or or doing an actual dive 
uh, dive work in the water, so which sort of sparked me onto other things. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Hmm. Nice. So did you end up in that sphere of work for a while? Or? No, I did. So are we venturing into dangerous ground there? No, nah, no, nah, you're right. No, nah, it's all good. <laughs> nah, we're sweet, uh, mate. So yep, I did. I ended up like a couple of guys had started their own company with some salvage work and stuff like that, but you needed to have a commercial dive ticket to work in that industry. So I actually went down to South Australia for, I think it was nine weeks in early 2000s and did commercial part one and part two, like scuba and uh, surface supply, which was like the pipes coming down your helmet sort of diving. Yeah, uh, yeah commercial ticket under ADAS, like the Australian Diver Accreditation Scheme. And yeah, came back and started working in the dive well, I've salvage type industry, working a little bit alongside like some of the water police guys, uh, police divers and that, but more so in the salvage type of role. Mm. Uh, yeah, commercially for about seven years actually. So yeah, heavily involved in in, in the water and um, yeah. So doing that for a job, did that um, increase your love for spearfishing and getting out and doing like what we do or um, was it, you know, did you almost end up with that, like that occupational dread for it or how did it how did it sort of work? Mate, funny, I was thinking about that today actually and it definitely, it was cool like, you know, if we were going out to, I had some trips to the Swains a few times to do some environmental recovery things that were environmental hazards, things like that. And yeah, we'd go spear and, you know, sometimes we could spear for four hours in the afternoon in the Swains on a work trip. Oh. What a place, right? Oh. Uh yeah, highly recommend. Highly recommend there if anyone is thinking about going on a trip like that. It's uh, an amazing place to, to be, but a lot of it was blackwater diving. It could have been sunken boats. Who people like insurance jobs? People doing insurance jobs on boats. The insurance company would go, "Hey, can you go and investigate?" It was a bit of a like underwater investigation, recoveries, environmental hazards, that sort of thing. And a lot of it, I'd say, ninety percent of it was blackwater mud, day and night, a boating hazard that might be. Yeah, you know, off a boat ramp or something like that. Blocking so, a shipping channel or, or – Yep. So, yeah, mate. So mm. it became very much work mm. and it sort of pushed me away from any sort of diving for a couple of years and I was sort of – I was just a little bit jaded. It's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a cutthroat sort of industry and I was just a little bit jaded and it did very much, as you, as you said, it was sort of occupational. It just reminded me like putting a wetsuit on. I was like, oh, you know, you spend – day after day in a wet wetsuit and I'm like, oh, that was the last thing. I sort of lost the love of it a little bit mm. and it was probably a couple of years after that where I sort of I sort of fell back in love with it and I never really looked back after that period, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you gone back into any commercial diving over the years or have you kept it sort of recreational and fun? Yeah, more so recreational stuff now. I, I moved out of the, the, the dive world and, again, meeting good contacts, I – was fortunate enough to move into like sort of firearms and firearms training sort of areas. Uh, government, I got into some government contracts with some ex-military guys and also, believe it or not, I don't know, it's sort of all worked out a little bit weird, but some actual like canine detection work with uh, scent detection for human scent, uh, bomb detection, cash stuff, and ended up, yeah, sort of heavily involved in that side of things doing contract work for military and like police agencies, that sort of thing mm. for supplying of canines and end up starting my own business and uh. sort of uh, selling dogs and doing that type of thing. So, yeah, gave me a bit of freedom to. So pad dogs, GP dogs. 
yeah. but everything. Yeah, yeah. Scent detection, like as I said, whether it was like uh, EOD, like bomb detection, or oh. or more so, like human scent detection. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, it's a, a cool industry to be involved with, but again, it gave me a bit more freedom to sort of push north. Like mm. I made a decision not too long ago, in about three or four years ago, uh, to yeah push push far north mm. and spend more time. Spearfishing and doing things that I love rather than working on the grind all the time, really. And so your childhood with your busy dad working his guts out um, probably influenced a little bit of that, I'd imagine? Yeah, 100%, mate. I actually had a family of my own and got some young kids and I had a conversation with my, my, with my dad actually about that and he was like, man, I, I think you're doing it right. You know, I, I think you're doing it. He, goes, I, and he did his best. Of course he did. He did what he could and but he's like, you're doing it right. And that was cool because, yeah, you know, it works and, you know, everyone needs – got to work and you need money and that, but you can get caught up in, you know, on the hamster wheel and uh, that's not what's important, you know, really. Freediving for Spearfishers at howtofreedive.com will help you to extend your breath hold, understand your body better and put you in a better position when you actually get to go out spearfishing. This program – is not for noobs as this program is for people who have some diving under their belts and understand some basic spearfishing safety but it's perfect for spearos who want a guided easy to follow and complete program with videos a clear process and a set goal the five minute freediver works get started for free and see if it's for you at howtofreedive.com there's a tester there use the code noobspero n-o-o-b-s-p-e-a-r-o to save some money if you do decide to purchase check it out at howtofreedive.com freediving for spearfishers a fantastic way to prepare especially if you've got a big trip coming up get to that five minute mark and it does translate to your diving at howtofreedive.com. The Freediving Manual is a video manual that contains absolutely everything that I would teach on one of my freediving courses. Everything broken down video by video so you can effectively take a freediving course at home. The manual is perfect for any Spiro who wants to brush up on their freediving knowledge or get up to date with all the latest freediving safety and performance knowledge. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the new Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code Spiro, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Spearfishing's a hard one too though, like being a Spiro dad, I don't know how old your kids are, it'll be interesting to find out, but like, um, you know, when you take students out too, like it can be quite hard too because you're not really spearfishing. <laughs> you're not. You're... you're um, <laughs> You're taking others for an experience and it's not about you and your hunting at all. It's about helping them and with kids it's the same. Um, either way, it's rewarding, but you've, you've, kind of, you've, you've got to shift your focus completely, I think. Um, do you envision yourself being a Spiro dad and how old are your kids and have they shown any interest yet? Yeah, man, I've got a couple of kids. I've got a daughter who's nine and a young fella who's seven. And mate, they're water kids. They love the water. We take them out. Regularly, you know, we live we live on the reef, so 
Uh, it's a regular occurrence. We, we might head out to a sand cave. You, you know, the beach is in far north Queensland. There's a few crocs around and stingers and stuff like that in stinger season. So, mm. you, you know, you don't – not many locals will really swim on the beaches there, but you will – they've got beautiful sand caves and stuff like that in beautiful coral areas that will go out on the weekends and have a swim and teach them how to uh, – I've been teaching them the pool for years just – Oh, nice. Uh, you know – how to exit the boat properly. They, they, you know, they practice, you know, holding their mask, stepping off off the side of the vessel, all that stuff in the yeah, pool. Yeah, nice. Cutting their teeth, and so they're they're quite into it actually. And uh, so when I get back from spearing, my young fella, he'll be like waiting in the pool because I just chuck my gear in the pool just to get the salt out of it before I put it in the shower or whatever. And I'll take the spear out of it, but he'll be swimming around on the bottom of the pool, going, "Dad, there's a mackerel down there," and you know, oh, so nice. So I, I, and same as my little daughter, she's got a really good breath hold, and you know, so I think they will get into it. I'm not. You know, if they want to be into it, I'll. I, I hope to spend many years with them, uh, enjoying the outdoors, and I try to get them out as much as possible, whether it's camping or, and even you know, some bow hunting stuff or whatever. As mm. if if they want to, but yeah, there's no real pressure there. But they seem to they seem to enjoy it. And I guess one thing, well, in relation to what you said about, you definitely have to separate it. Like, I'm not going spearfishing on the days I take them out. Like, yeah, yeah, that's a disaster. I've tried to take them fishing a few times and, you know, you're driving the boat, you, oh, my God, the prop was yep. covered with fishing line in about five minutes or yep. um, the family days are family days and that's fine. You know, I'll just happily swim around with them, show them coral, looking at like learning about sharks and, you know, you're not going to get eaten by every reef shark and, and they love that side of things, doing, teaching them to do duck dives and letting them fire a little cray gun here and there or something like that just to – yeah, they spark a bit of interest, but yep. yeah, it's definitely a separation. It's uh, it's a dangerous path to step into, I reckon, if you're trying to do both. <laughs> well, you just it's an exercise in frustration, as you identified. I think sometimes, even if you're buddy diving and all the rest of it, like I think spearfishing can be a pretty selfish pursuit. It's not selfish in the fact that it's like I mean, if it's fully self-centered and you're not, you know, like and you're doing it all the time and you're ignoring your family, maybe. And uh, I had a recent article actually submitted a named Spiro written by a a Spiro dad who just capturing some of that that family balance stuff, but I think um, yeah, I think you've just you've got to get it right and you've got to you've got to split it up. I think spearfishing and going out and doing it yourself is incredibly rewarding. It's good for your soul, and if you're looking after yourself, then you're looking after your family better as well. But you, you've got to have family days as well as oh, like man. just spearing days. <laughs> I think, but yeah, <laughs> oh, the wheels can come off quick, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Had some horror horror. I tried to do both at first. You know, you get excited. You you want to – yeah, it's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 100%. I but. took out um, my older stepson a while back and, like, he's got a – I gave him my Oma plastic fins, which is my lenders, and he's got big feet, so he fit him all right. Um, and, it, you know, he stood up straight away on this rock shelf because he was a bit nervous and just stood straight on the blade and bent it backwards over at the foot pocket, like just completely wrecked $190, $200 fins or whatever. And, um, you know, but that's also kind of – you've got to just accept it. It's just like you, you can't teach for every eventuality either. So hmm. have you taught people spearfishing? Like have you taught your mates or have you, have you always found yourself going out with people that have already got sort of the skills that you like being around? Mate, when I got back into it, it was probably about six years ago. I got heavily back into it. It was around 2014 and I started – I actually stumbled across your podcast. I think one of my mates might have – we just sort of worked out, oh, I'm into spearing a bit or I haven't dived for a while and I think a couple of boys was in the Brisbane sort of scene were getting back into it. One of my mates had a jet ski and he was he was a good diver and 
I think he might have put me onto the podcast. And I was like, holy fuck, started listening to it. Yeah. And again, having that little bit of a, that obsessive sort of personality, <laughs> as I think probably most, well, a lot of Spiros or, yeah. you know, just wanting to be or wanting to learn and be good at the things that you're doing. Uh, I sort of got hev- pretty hard hooked on it. Mm. And the guys I was diving were pretty, yeah, pretty solid divers. We're all had a reasonable amount of experience, although we hadn't dived for a lot of years. And we we, we you know, we were sort of Morton Stratty, nothing hardcore, but yeah, certainly like heading out and the level was pretty solid, but it was probably not getting out as much as I really wanted to and made the decision a couple of years, about three years ago, yeah, to move, basically to move up to the reef. I managed to convince the missus to... Uh, it would be a good idea to live <laughs> live on the reef so I could provide her with cold trout perhaps for lunch. So Mate, that is a genius <laughs> sales technique. You yeah. could have been a salesperson in another life, I think. How's, how, how's the adjustment going? Does she like it now? Mate, it's good. She, yeah, it's a good place. So yeah. We're happy up there. Uh, <clears throat> the decision to maybe get off the grind a little bit and just spend more time. We've travelled extensively up through the Cape camping and the kids, you know, it's been really good for them. But on the spearing front, yeah, it's we're very spoiled. Um, there was a couple of boys that I started to I got to know that were into it a little bit, but probably didn't have quite as a background in the water that I did. Mm. So after having some close calls in the water over the years commercially, I was quite, I'm quite risk averse, and I do listen. Like I'm all about safety. I've got a family, and you know you can't I can't be doing the silly things that I I, I wasn't interested in doing the stupid shit diving alone or you know, not judging people that do that, but uh, for me personally, the, the the risk was too high. Seeing some of the consequences over the years commercially and stuff like that. So, uh, I've got a good crew of boys now who we've been diving together for a couple of years, probably two years. We probably dive fortnightly together. There's probably a bunch. There's a bunch of about four or five of us. We pretty much dive together all the time, and in teaching those guys some just some safety protocols and stuff like that. Yeah. Now we're all diving. We all dive the same way, and I've found that they're all reaching. We've grown together. I, I probably it was a little bit tough. Like I, I couldn't say that I've pushed the boundaries for myself. So I, I wouldn't. I've improved a little bit, but these guys have come a long way in two years from where they were to sort of hitting the twenty meter mark. Really now, on a, you know fifteen to twenty meters is not out of their depth anymore. Yeah, which is you know, produce some better quality fish recently. So there's quite a few steps of progression to get to diving those sorts of depths. I don't think you come out of a free diving course and magically start spearfishing at that depth, not in any way, shape or form. So like but you, you, maybe you come out of a free diving course or, or you, you, you learn it, you know, the long, you know, maybe the longer way and you start diving down to 10 metres. H- how do you think the guys get from that sort of 10 metre diving where they're comfortable and fairly safe in those conditions to pushing out to 15 metres. What do you think are some of the magic little ingredients that you've noticed? Well, confidence is a big thing as well. Um, not pushing the not pushing the limits like, you know, you can't, as you said, you can't just go from 10 metres. Some guys are natural in the water. You know, I've had guys before yeah. who I know that literally on their very first day, they were just straight down to 15 metres and they're just, and I'm like, man, this is this guy's second day ever diving. Yep, okay. Yeah. He's a freak. When I'm not like that, I get. I think you had Taz on once. Taz, I want to. Yeah, Tony, and he was, and he gets gets the chronic contractions. Like, oh, 
oh, I'm probably not that bad, but I, I certainly do feel, you know, those that urge to breathe is mm. it's not supernatural to me, but just slowly progressing, having the confidence, and knowing that, like, you know, we we introduced some protocols where we were, you know, we, you, you guys talk about it heavily, but buddy diving, yeah. we pair up. We usually have five guys, definitely one on the boat, always the boat runs all day and two pairs in the water together, one up, one down, and it works really well. The guys have very – oh, they've become accustomed. That's sort of the only way they really know now. Like, Yeah, um, that's every, perfect. Every now and then one of the boys, you know, they might see a big fish or swim off a bit and we're like, hey – even as the boat, you're like, man, I can't see what you're doing. Stay together. Yeah. It's depending on the conditions. You know, we get pretty good conditions up 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 that way. But mm-hmm. um, but definitely in relation to going from say ten to fifteen meters, just a slow progression of confidence, just going a little bit further, a little bit further here and there. Or hey, mate, try you know maybe try this when you get down on the bottom. Have a look under there. Maybe lie down. Don't waste all your energy. Or a lot of the the lot of the time I've seen. You know, just little pointers. I'm not a perfect diver myself, but yep. the old swimming on a 45 degree angle. If they're yep. going to 10 meters and they're going on a 45, they've already they're already at 15 meters because they've wasted half. You know, their trajectory has taken them. Just not diving straight, yep. having a streamlined posture. You know, not wasting energy on the surface or relaxing more on the surface, doing breathe ups, things like that. Just little points that I probably learnt have learnt through your podcast and having that background in the water of being comfortable in shit conditions just to, I guess, you know, coach those boys a little bit and give them the confidence that if they go to 12 metres and they've only ever gone to 10, that I can come and get them without any issues. Yeah. And that makes a world of difference, I think. You know? 100% it does. And, it's, and that's the environment you want people to be in when they are starting to do that. That's really cool. I want to bookmark saying um, – I feel like you've touched on a couple of things about ego and being teachable, and I want to come back to that and revisit it. But we're talking about safe systems. I believe you had a couple of scary things happen with regards to freedive spearfishing um, that have probably influenced you a little bit. I'd love it if you could give us a give us a, a recounting of one of your tales. Or yeah, cool, mate. So, well, as I said, having a commercial background, I've had instances in the water on like uh, scuba diving and stuff like that on whilst in work I had an out of air wasn't a free diving incident but I was out of air at 28 meters which we're basically searching for the wreckage of a um I think it was a sunken vessel or whatever it was and it was reasonable visibility but I think it was getting a bit late in the afternoon and I breathed we had some sort of like reserve sort of set up, like a quarter of a tank reserve set up and it was a pretty old system we were running and I breathed down to what they call the restriction where I knew, yep, okay, I've no longer got a breath left in me. I think I breathed all the way out and it was it was, it was a it was a running current. So I think we were doing circular searches on a, on a rope and we are swimming around. It was good when you had the current to your back but as you come back in the current, you're working, you, you're feeling pretty hard. So I was puffing quite hard. I breathed out, the restriction came and I went to pop the the lever. It was an old J-valve setup they call it. Pop the lever to give myself the last quarter of a tank and then um, my little buddy who set my setup forgot to tighten it up probably and the, the tank had ha- basically slipped out to a position where I couldn't reach it. Yeah, I had a quick look and realised um, I'm gone here. I couldn't reach it and then I had to make a decision how I was going to get to the surface. So I, I basically ditched all my equipment and did what's called a free ascent from 28 metres, which looks like a frigging long way, 
when you're down there. You can just sort of make it the surface I could and yeah, managed to get to the surface uh, and survive. Yeah, so uh, that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a curly one. Compressed air too, like you got your wrist expansion injuries. Thankfully, you didn't have any air, although I'm sure you weren't very thankful for that at the time. <laughs> but uh, they talk about humming on the way up and things like that. But I think we were chatting before, and you were saying like. Um, you were within your limits too, so you didn't really have to worry about going into a um, into a um, chamber to yep. to sort of be taken back down and brought back up so you didn't end up with DCS. Yeah, I didn't, but uh, yeah. that would have scared you, I think. But it was a bit of a wake-up call. Uh, yeah, as I said, breathing, like I did get a little bit of air because of that expansion on the way up, yep. a little bit of air in my lungs, but again, if you're holding your breath and that's how a lot of people actually die, they hold their breath and their lungs will just pop basically. So mm-hmm. I had had a... I have done that in training before and I, I did recognise it. So, yeah, just breathing out the whole way up. But then other instances where we were doing some breath hole training for spearfishing in was in a five-metre dive pool and we were pushing hard. We'd, we were simulating like shit visibility and semi-visibility goggles and stuff like that and just trying to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we were, as I said, pushing each other very hard. We had like three or four guys doing some training we did it safely though. In one aspect, we did it safely and we we're probably a little bit silly pushing as hard as we were, but we were basically trying to swim as many laps of this. Like we'd set up some shots underneath the ground, with, underneath the water with some weights and some lines set up and you just basically follow it round and round to see who can get around as many times and then come up, basically come up the surface. And knowing what we knew commercially, we had an in-water safety driver, which was myself at the time. And one of the boys was like, oh, I don't think I can push that hard. And we're like, ah, come on, man, don't be a pussy, you know, you can do this. Just have a dig, man. Just don't worry about it. It's just the contraction. You'll be fine. (laughs) He's like, I'm feeling pretty fucked. I'm like, nah, man, you'll be fine. Just do it. Mm. Anyway, he goes down, he goes down and he started coming back up and, yeah, we're like, oh, well done. He did it and then he got about a couple of metres from the surface and uh, he he had a shallow water blackout and literally sunk to the bottom. Uh, It took me like a couple of seconds to realise what was happening and I'm like, holy shit, he's had a blackout. And I swam down, grabbed him, brought him back up to the surface. Uh, I didn't have to give him any breaths. So I just pulled off his mask and, you know, blew, blew some air on his face and just give him a little little bit of a tap. And he come to and, yeah, we got him out of the water. But it was pretty – it was a big eye-opener. And we're like, holy shit, this can this can – this shallow water blackout thing can happen. And, yeah, from that day, from that day forward, yeah, I probably never really pushed the boundaries or let people – push themselves to those limits, which we all know, you know doesn't it can it can end badly. Yeah. Which brings us neatly back to the ego stuff what we were talking about before. Um I think in um like jujitsu, you were talking about it before. I don't have a lot of experience in it. But I when I started in corrections, I think between having a need to be comfortable in physical altercations and then not having been in a fight, like a physical fight for probably, I don't know, 12 or 15 years, I straight away realised that I had a um, – I realised I started becoming consciously incompetent. You know, I became aware of just how pathetic I could be. Despite being a bigger bloke, it doesn't mean jack shit when you are dealing with people that are accustomed to violence. And so Joe Rogan was also heavily interested. He's got a romantic love affair with jiu-jitsu, so I started in jiu-jitsu. One of the delightful things I found about the culture in um, the jiu-jitsu places I went to um, were was the complete lack of ego. Mm. And it didn't matter who you were rolling with, everyone had something to teach you. 
And the more open you were and the better questions you asked, the the faster you seemed to advance. You also had to put the work in and show up, which I was pretty intimate with, to be honest, which is why <laughs> I didn't get very good at it. But I, I, I tell you what, from session one to session 50, dramatic improvement mm. and and just like you're talking about, like confidence with training and stuff. But the thing I liked most about it was probably that lack of ego. And whereas when I come back to spearfishing again, I recognise the hallmarks of ego in a hell of a lot of our often male-dominated sports. And, I mean, male ego is there for a reason and it can be a good thing, it can be a fun thing. When you're young, it's often untethered, though, with wisdom. <laughs> and uh, it stops you from learning and it stops you from developing and growing too because if you think you friggin' know it all or even if you're bunging it on and pretending like you do, a lot of people won't teach you jack shit. Talk to me about that, like um, – you know, how does that um, how does that show up, or how have you seen that in, in the spearfishing world? Do you think we're getting better? Like, because that that urge to push yourself and hold your breath longer and hold up bigger fish and win competitions and shit like that, it's a temptation. If you're, I think, if you're a competitive person at any level. Yeah, and to quickly bring it back to the jiu-jitsu stuff, like there's a famous saying in most jiu-jitsu gyms: leave your ego at the door. It's just the way it is. You know, like you said, you get humble by, like I can remember that when I first started, or I, I did. I trained for about seven years, and I was okay at jiu-jitsu. The first two years, you, you're getting your ass handed to you, and there's a 60 year old guy that looks like a dentist that makes you feel like a very small man. You know, it doesn't matter how big you are. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I hated that, but I also loved it because yeah. I'm like, man, I don't like the feeling of feeling that inferior to someone. I need to learn this. But then, as you go along, as you said, it's it's, it's it is heavily linked with wisdom, though. Um, you know, you learn that's not all about winning and it's about learning and, and teaching other people because, of course, you can, you know, if you've been doing it for a while or it's the same thing as spearfishing, you know. Yeah, I could – there's a nice – there's a good trout down there. That guy, I could swim down and shoot that fish. Easy, I've shot 100 of them. But yeah. I could point that fish out to that guy and say, hey, mate, if you have a look under that rock there, down on the left, you pretty much got to point – swim down a point to them. But yeah. it's, it's about having that – yeah, not having that ego and – uh, you don't get on too many boats if you a if you're a dickhead. You might get out once, but you're not going to continually. You're not going to. You're not coming back all the time because people don't want to dive with people like that. You know. So, yeah. um, in relation to spearfishing, uh, we've got a pretty tight sort of a crew that we um, dive with regularly, and then other people, a friend of a friend might come with us or whatever and if they're they're a good human being, they understand, you know, being a good boat uh, passenger, paying their way, doing all the things that we all, yeah, we all, well, well sorry. Well, most, we all value. Most people, most people, the yeah. non-dickheads <laughs> understand. But, yep. yeah, there is the people that don't. But, again, they're not, are they coming back again? Probably not, you know. I think, like you said, there is a level of ego that everyone wants to shoot that massive fish. Everyone wants to, so it is, you know, it is sometimes hard to give up that or you might see that great fish and you know, you're coming up from your dive and you see that good fish and you're like, oh, fuck, I know where that fish is. <laughs> but, man, just work as a team. Well, yeah. On our boat, we've got a rule, or on my boat personally and the other boats of the guys that I – we split our catch-up at the end of the day. Oh, if, nice. If you get one crate, if he gets one crate, he's never got one before, whatever, of course we're not splitting that in half. Yeah. But basically we'll go out. And even the guys, if you get nothing all day, you don't go home with nothing on our boat because it's not. That's, he's not going to want to come back, or she's not going to want to come back. So that's heavily managed, and it's just being a good person. So yeah, yeah, I think that sort of goes 
hand in hand with the people that you're willing to spend, you know, you, it's a big day when you go diving, mm. you spend sun up to sundown and the people that you choose to spend your life with, I don't have a big problem with that ego side of things. Every now and then, you know, someone might swim off and, you know, it's probably not their dive turn. We take it in turns but they're like, hey, man, no, no, watch him, brother. You know, it's not your turn. Don't be a dick. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got me. Sorry, mate, you know, so. yeah. I do like some of the casual banter too, but some of it's a bit ouch. Like we all fancy ourselves sometimes <laughs> as not having an ego and then someone says, like, oh, you're a shit Sparrow, and then <laughs> and it kind of stings. But then the next time you shoot a better fish in front of them, it's like, yeah, get that in you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like there's a bit of fun stuff there as well. Like I, I think, um, yeah, it's kind of carefully balanced out with, with humour and banter. Ah, equalising. One of those things that you take for granted most days when everything's working perfectly. But what if it's not? Maybe that's your biggest struggle. Are you equalising correctly? Learn how to get your EQ game tight with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. Check out Ted's equalising course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted and Master Frenzel, troubleshoot your EQ game and keep charging in your spearing game. Learn more at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted and use the code noobspiro to save some dosh. Today's podcast is brought to you by Killshot Spear Guns. Ed Martin makes dependable, reliable, simple spear guns that you can rely on. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, but it's not just me saying it. Have a listen to what this bloke's got to say about it. Well, I just love Ed Martin's kill shot spear guns. They just shoot fish all day long. But it's not just the Americans saying it. He's even sold some spear guns in the UK. That's right, Shrek. I just love a kill shot spear gun. I've been shooting bass and all sorts of cod and pollock and God knows what down here in the lock and around and uh, this is the end of my accent. But uh, yeah, I love kill shot spear guns. Keep them coming, Ed. And uh, even the Australians are getting in on it. Ed makes a quality, reliable uh, platform. Have a listen to what um, Stu had to say when I got hold of him last time. Oh, gee, Shrek, I got on to bloody kill shot spear guns last time. I heard you gobbing on about them on the podcast. And I just got on. I wanted a reliable, uh, bloody uh, tough spear gun. So I got on kill shot. I saved. I used the code, the bloody uh, noob code there, the nooba. And on killshotspearguns.com, got myself an American bit of uh, timber spear gun. And jeepers, mate, this thing is shooting crocs. Oh, oh this it's so bloody good, mate. Uh, don't don't listen to me about the crocs, say it's illegal. But I do like to shoot the odd bearer. <laughs> Get onto them. Get into them. I'm out. See you, mate. You didn't just hear it from me. Buy American-made performance at killshotspearguns.com. Get thirty dollars off any spear gun when you use the code Nuba. On killshotspearguns.com. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. The Freediving Manual is a digital freediving course, one that you can do at home, at your leisure, whenever you've got time. The course contains absolutely everything that a freediving instructor would teach on a freediving course. 
The digital courses are broken down into a video format and they contain everything that a freediving instructor would teach on a freediving course. We have beginner freediving courses, intermediate freediving courses and advanced freediving courses for those who are working on diving deeper. The freediving manual contains all the safety information that any Spiro could want. Thanks Adam and team, love it. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. Let's get infinitely practical. Like, um, what's a species that um, you feel like you've you've been enjoying figuring out and what have you learned so far? And maybe tell us a story of, of, of one that, maybe one that got away or one that you were really happy with. Oh man, there's plenty that got away, brother. Don't you worry. I, uh, I think Trevor. I was talking to Trevor about this when he came on. He's, yeah, he's such a humble bloke. He, he has a highlight, like an awesome highlight reel of all his stuff ups. You know, like he and he puts that online on on YouTube. You know what I mean? So we're pretty lucky up there. You know, like people will have a heart attack with this, but it may be a common occurrence. Yeah, you could you could barely up a coral trout to bring in a Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, of course well. we don't do that too much, but you know, if there's, there's, you know, we are very lucky. There's a lot of species, and it doesn't have to be in super deep water a lot of the time. Like you can, I know blokes have shot thirty kilo Spanish in ten meters of water. Yeah, like it's just there is a lot of great fish, a lot of trout, some red emperor, literally a bit deeper with a red emperor, uh, Spanish kicking around. There is some jacks. I haven't had a whole lot of luck with jacks. I sort of find I spook them a little bit, but. Um, you know, depending on where you're diving, the, some of the areas like up off the ribbons and different areas like sort of north of Cooktown and that, you almost got to push huge blue spot trout out of the way. They're, they're too big basically. Yeah. Um, so a lot of boys, we've cut our teeth, you know, spearing the trout and stuff. But, you know, it does you – know, if you're just doing the same sort of diving all the time, it, it, it can get a little bit sort of uh, – a little – a little bit twice. I mean, and that sounds ridiculous to some people who don't have. I apologise if people be like, "Mate, what are you talking about?" That sounds yeah. amazing. Oh, I love shooting trout because I don't get up there much. So, yeah. like a three, four kilo trout to me is just froth town. Yeah. And to be honest, yeah, I'm a bit like you. Jacks for me are a creature of opportunity. Like I can't say I've got some strategic hunting technique for them. I kind of understand the techniques. And I've talked a lot of shit about the techniques, <laughs> but uh, putting them into practice a lot of the time is a completely different thing. They're a pretty cagey fish. If you are a cagey diver, they're not so challenging. But for me, I'm a bit like you. They're still quite a challenging fish. Like purple cod for me. So I started diving and I mentioned it a little bit before. I probably hadn't had more experience. Like for me, I'm only diving as deep as my buddy can dive. You know, mm. If I can dive a little bit deeper than them, they're not coming to get me if things go bad. So we've uh, through again just just dive contacts and stuff like that. Um, uh, Lex O'Connor and a couple of uh, Lexi, uh, yeah, Lexi, Captain man, Lex. yeah, yeah, Captain Lex. I think he's on. And a shout out to him. He's he's, he's one of the most lovely guys. Yeah, I think he, he's good mates with uh, Strick and Az. Yeah, those that's boys how and, I know him by association. Yeah, and mate, so um, Ash Curry, another another bit of a local legend up sort of Cairnsway and. Uh, Bit of a rat bag, but uh, those boys, I struck a bit of a friendship with those lads, and they've been coming out, and that for me, 
enabled me to push my boundaries a little bit and talking with those guys, my technique was reasonable. Lexi is a free drive instructor. He's going to come on hopefully soon. He's just a bit tied up at the moment. But a super humble guy, a great diver, and he's like, mate, you can push a little bit. Don't worry. Uh, and so getting on the purple cod, so in some deeper water, the – those guys understand a lot about, you know, the, the conditions, the currents, you know, where, you know, where to put the boat, where to be pretty much drifting right on top of the, uh, right on top of the good spots. And they pointed out to me a couple of times, hey, mate, there's a good purple cod here. Why don't you have a crack at it? I'm like, oh, I've, you know, I haven't shot one or whatever. And once I shot one, I started to see a lot more of them and I found them a challenging fish, a little bit deeper water and super challenging, very cagey. You get a quick window of opportunity with them and then they're gone. And once they're gone, unless they hole up, as Tim was saying on, on his podcast, on yeah. my podcast, unless they hole up, you got Buckley's chance once yeah. you once you stuff it up. And I've stuffed plenty of them up, but I've really enjoyed, yeah, hunting that purple cod. And for me, I reckon they're probably my favourite fish to eat as well. So they're freaking delicious. I've only shot one and eaten one and it was absolutely magic. And I stuffed that fish up five times. <laughs> 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 but uh, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I watched Tim's recent video actually. Like um, he shoots a cracker, and that's I think it's just over that sort of 10, 11 kilo mark. And um, that yeah, that that clever, a bit like Maricod, mm. different behaviour. But like you've kind of got one opportunity, and then it's done. Mm. Mm. So yeah, cool. So techniques. What are you doing? Because you're diving sandy flats. I'm imagining over the back of deeper reef. Um. Are you getting sort of that negative buoyancy and then using a bit of inertia and just sort of a slow approach or uh, – and are you top hunting or are you, are you getting on the bottom before you're hunting them? Yeah, like depending on the viz, though, like at the moment we've got trade winds and stuff kicking through there, so it's been pretty terrible. We haven't been out too much lately, but depending if we get a good, a good window of some nice weather, it may be where you are getting that 20, 30 metres visibility and you might make out – you might be able to make out some fish on the bottom uh, or close to those isolated, you know, most of the stuff we're diving is isolated, looking for the isolated rocks and then basically looking for the pressure point, dropping up current from it and drifting on top of it, trying to time your drift. Yeah, like you said, um, diving down from the surface, not really, not finning all the way down, not trying to create too much disturbance or too, and too much noise or waste too much energy really, uh, depending on where the fish are. If we haven't sort of seen them, then, yeah, definitely trying to get on the bottom um, and just, you know, helps having a, a decent breath hole, uh, which probably is not my greatest, you know, I'm not I'm not a three-minute guy, but uh, most of my dives, to be honest, are between one and one and a half minutes is heaps for me. Like that's... Oh, uh, I think you're, you're shooting really good fish if you're diving like that. And I, again, like I, I think that's a fairly experienced level of diving even. Yeah, anyway, well... Yeah. learning, slowly learning and, and, you know, always learning and, uh, as I said before, not pushing the boundaries too hard but with those guys able to, yeah, get on the bottom or diving in the teams with those boys, you know, you, you're working as a team. So, mate, there's a huge jack under that thing on the left-hand side. If you get down on the bottom, you'll have a look. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but they don't tell you that because you bugger them up too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're such good blokes. I actually do. Oh, you know, nice. they're, they're fucking good guys. So, but, yeah, technique-wise, yeah, getting on the bottom – I listen to as many people and a lot of experienced guys like Tim and that, you know, he's like, he's, he, and it, one thing that resonated with me with talking to him a little bit, he's mm. like, for him, he doesn't get on the bottom if he know if the fish are sort of there. If, mm. if they're not there, then you'll get on the bottom 
and he'll throw up sand, he'll scratch coral, he'll do those things. So yeah, just putting those principles into place. And I have had some like working for jobbies and stuff like that. I mentioned to him, I haven't had a whole heap of success just doing that dance. Uh, you know, I've had some long shots at him in 18 meters of water when I'm at the back of my breath hole. Mm. But uh, I have definitely, uh, you know, dusting, trying to act like the turtle, whatever it is, I have, it has definitely sparked the interest for me. Mm. But I think as a, as a, when I was sort of learning before, I thought, oh, I've got to get on the bottom, I've got to get on the bottom and, you know, just start dusting and stuff. But there's probably fish around there that I was probably spooking and it was, it was, it's more to bring them in rather than to just do it, I guess, for the sake of doing it because you think that's what you should be doing, you know? Yeah. Dusting for the sake of it when there's nothing around just seems to be dusting for the sake of it. I'm still guilty of it though. That that opportunity cost that those those like the thinking that those comp divers do, like then they, they it's all about economy of effort and economy of dives. They're not they're not diving where there's nothing. They are diving where there's stuff going on and then, you know, when there's three or four species there, even if they are not your target species, chances are that you start to see the other stuff. So mm. Mm. Just things like limiting eye contact, you know, trying, like you said, not trying to act like that predator, all the things that you hear, you know, the, all the good sort of Spiro's talking about. I do definitely try and think about those things. Um, That's hard. Yeah. That's a real discipline, isn't it? Like it's hard not to look when, you know, when when you're surrounded in fish. Mm. But that's when it works. Mm. And that's just an experience thing, I think, which – I'll continue to grow at and, uh, you know, for new people who are getting into it, you know, you're so excited when you first get down there. Even just that excitement alone, you, you're chewing up oxygen, but yeah. it's just time. It's just yeah. time. <laughs> for me, it's like, you know, you spend like six months recovering and regaining a level of decent fitness, dive fitness, and then you're finally starting to get down to where you want to hunt and start seeing these good fish. And then you haven't done it for so long that the excitement's too high and then all your, you know, your thinking goes out the window. And so it's an exercise in frustration sometimes, I think, spearfishing for me. Um, but, you know, I, again, we, I'm coming back to Tim again. I've, I've been watching his new YouTube channel a lot since he's relaunched it. And, um, like, his moments of frustration almost give me a sense of joy. Like, oh, sweet, if he's getting frustrated, then no wonder I'm frustrated, you know, like, I, I think. But that's kind of what makes the the victories all the sweeter. Talk to me of, of a story from recent, Spearing, where you've really shot something special and just been absolutely, like, fist-pumping, high-fiving your mates. Mate, the Red Emperor, you know, it's a target species, I think, it's one of the pinnacle species for me. Uh, like I said, there's trout everywhere, you know. So uh, I'm always on the hunt for reds and trying to work out. And it's a, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a learning process again. You're right there, brother. Just fucking <laughs> dropping that mic. <laughs> just, I'm just working on the new Spiro technical equipment as usual. Oh, yeah. Andy. It's high tech, the high tech. High, the level yeah. of professionalism and Shrek's <laughs> Shrek setup is just, just not there. Oh mate, oh, like I said, it's the uh, the backyard recording studio we got here, brother. But uh, nah, so mate, yeah, the, the red emperor is definitely some uh, a species of fish that. I'm super keen to learn. I had this little, a young fellow, Zach Schmidt, on my podcast. And yeah, I listen man, to him. Super cool young guy and really articulate young guy and loves the ocean and he's doing really well and shot some amazing fish and we were talking about Red Emperor and he'd been getting on a few few good ones. And um, so, yeah, I definitely have an interest in the Reds and I think it was, you know, the coolest sort of environment up there for us, the water, you know, sometimes the water can be 37 degrees, you know, on it's it. It's crazy. It's like it's it's almost bordering on disgusting. So, you know, they're in a lot deeper water if they're going to be kicking around there. But as the winter sort of 
uh, the cooler, the cooler. I'll probably say twenty three, twenty four, oh twenty seven. You know, there's guys that know wearing three mils in twenty seven. Tell me they're cold. I'm like, guys, don't ever freaking tell anyone this. <laughs> you're getting cold. Yeah. But, anyway, so uh, yeah, trying to target those in, in slightly deeper spots, looking for those isolated rocks and that. And we started diving a little bit uh, more specifically for that target species. And I think. I managed. Was one. Of, I went out. Uh, I've got a young fella, Cody. That he's uh, he's a he's a good lad. I had him on. I had him on. I think it was the Craig King episode. I had him oh, on. Yeah. He's, a, he's a proper lad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we spoke heavily about, you know, how he he rocks up with half a case of piss and no no food or water for the whole day and puts more fish in the boat than anyone. And yeah, it was pretty competitive. Well, you know, all good banter and that throughout the day. And he shot. I think he shot a ten kilo tusky or something like that. A nice big fella and. He was bragging that was a fish of the day, and anyway, yeah. I uh, I didn't tell him that I'd stumbled across a school of nice reds. I think it was in about fourteen meters, or whatever. And yeah, I uh, he, I, I've ducked, I've down, well, I went down with one. It was, I was diving with another fellow. Yeah, I went down and uh, yeah, I shot like I think it was a six and a half kilo, close to seven kilo red, and yeah, I won fish of the day with that. And the stoke, you know, I know you've talked about the stoke before, but on top of the surface, I was just. I've been driving for a fair few years and I just hadn't really seen a lot of reds and, yeah. man, that was uh, – to this day, it was – yeah, I think that was probably my favourite fish, one of my favourite fish and that stoke on the water, just so excited and, you know, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know this is your podcast, like I'm interviewing you, but I feel like – can I tell you my Red Emperor story? <laughs> Fucking hell. Let's do this. <laughs> well, I was um, I was diving up um, off Northwest Island and um, – Pretty sharky, right? Yeah, pretty sharky to those. Can be, can yeah. be. Um, this is a few years ago now. I was fairly rookie back then, like probably talking like eight or nine years ago. And I was out with the mate, John, and we were out there and he told me that his dream was to shoot a 10 kilo red emperor. And if we shot that on this trip, then he said he would be over the moon. Anyway, um, Ida was on fire this trip. Like I shot, it was the first time I'd been up there, so I'd never shot a coral trout. I shot that purple cod on that trip. I shot Spangled Emperor. I shot Jobfish. I shot, mate, I, I honestly, like, I, I must have shot 15 species over five or six days that I'd never shot before. And um, had this dirty big one for Rob Allen. Things were going real well. And uh, we found this sort of isolated drop-off between two reefs. And um, I dropped down and uh, was chasing this big trout, about three, four kilo trout. And it went over the edge of the wall, which was about sort of 10 or 11 metres, and I'm dropping down, dropping down. Got to about 17 metres, which is kind of – was definitely my limit at the time. And the trap just gave me the slip and carried on down into 25s. And I was just like, ah, oh, well, well done. You got away. And then I look out into the distance and there's this silhouette of a decent fish. And I thought, that's a Morwong for sure. And I was like, but I've got to have a look. Because I had a bit of gas in the tank. I just didn't want to go deeper because I wasn't comfortable. You know, you're starting to feel like that compression. Mm. Anyway, so I've thinned out towards this fish and then I've just let inertia carry me. And the closer I got to this thing, the more I realised yeah. that it was a friggin' red emperor. <laughs> and it was so big that, you know, the coloration starts to fade out, which is why I thought it was a morwong. And they've got similar, like, lips. And when you haven't shot one before or seen them underwater, um, <clears throat> you just don't know. Anyway, as soon as I know, I friggin' I shot it. It was a sweet shot too. And sharks come out of nowhere. There was like half a dozen sharks on me within 
like within five seconds of that shaft hitting the fish, there were sharks that I didn't even know were there come out of nowhere. And uh, and, and there was a bit of fight in it, so I got it up to the surface and I had about a 100-metre swim back and the sharks followed me all the way. I finally got back to the boat and uh, I um, put it in the esky and then jumped back over and carried on spearing. And uh, about an hour later, the skipper came back because he was diving in another direction. He comes back and I said, mate, I've shot saying I did not know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you give me an ID? And uh, and he's opened up the esky and he's gone, you effing prick. You know, he was that freaking angry. It went eight point four kilo. Wow. I completely tin asked it. Wow. And that's the only one I've ever shot. But um, mate, that was a cool fish. So good. I, I get what you're talking about. Like, there's something about those fish. They just they're iconic. They taste so good. They're not particularly difficult to spear, but man, yeah. they're cool. Yeah, I think a little bit hard to find, but not hard to spear. You know, um, similar thing with Cody. He was talking up a big game there, and I, <laughs> I, I threw it in the esky. He was off. He was off diving, doing something else, and I threw it in the top of the esky, and he's like, w- w- "I didn't say nothing to him." And <laughs> we got back in the boat, and he's like, "Yeah, fish of the day." I was like, "Oh man, I don't know." And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Open the esky." And he's like. You've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. Where was that? And I was like, oh, <laughs> not telling. I don't know, mate. I don't know. I just got lucky. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was cool. I, um, yeah, sick. Yeah, I remember one other fish I shot was probably one, one of my best was like a, uh, I had a mate who's talked about, you know, the meter Jew fish yep. forever and I think we were, you know, down south it was and I was like, oh, man, there's uh, some couple of good good fish around here. I don't know exactly what they are but they're – He's like, oh, yeah. I said, oh, I'll, I'll go shoot one. I'll bring it up. And, you know, brought up a metre one Jewfish and he, oh. man, he's still to this day. He's <laughs> like, and he was searching. I said, there's another one, there's another one. He spent like two hours searching oh. for this fish and uh, it was gone. But, yeah, iconic sort of a fish. And, that, yeah, but like you said, that stoke when you, the feeling when you come to the surface, I don't know, it's hard to explain it. It's just there's a lot of hard work goes into this shit. Yeah. And a lot of hours and money and all the things. And, yeah. you know, when, when it pays off and you're with your mates and, oh, there's no better feeling. I think the bigger Gumby you are, like, I'm a big Gumby, man. Like, sometimes when I get those moments, I think maybe it's even sweeter for me. So, uh, mate, I was, I was wrapped with that fish and it sounds like you were the same. There's something cool about setting your mate up too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that feels uh, good too. It like almost adds to it. So, nah, cool. Um, what about gear, man? So you, you said like, you know, your water temp's pretty hideous up there at times. Walk, walk us through like, are you um, covering up in summer? What, what are you wearing? Yeah, just this thing in factor, yeah. So I'd, I like to dive with a hood, so... In in the summertime, it's literally a, um, basically a, you know just a, a stinger suit, you know hooded stinger suit with a, a small pad on the front chest there, um, full length. So with gloves, uh, you blokes look more like cyclists than spiros, eh? Yeah, yeah. So what do they call them, mammals? You know, middle aged men in lycra or something? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it is. It's almost sickening sometimes. Like if you're putting in the effort, like we'll, we'll die pretty hard. But, you know, it could be 38 degrees outside and 37 degrees in the water. You, you, you simp- For me personally, a lot of guys will just dive into rashy and boardies. I just like to have my head covered. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think maybe for something from the old commercial days. But um, A lot of people talk about getting cold in the water. The reality is, though, like even with um, the wetsuit technology we've got down here, like if you've got more wetsuit on or even if you're not in a wetsuit but you're in super warm water – Regulating your body temp when when you're really hot is actually 
some just as hard to deal with as being cold. Mm. Mm. We've got a sweet spot uh, with in terms of our body temperature and anything outside that plays havoc with your dive fitness too. Around, I think it's 37.5 or something. That's awful. Maybe around there. But yeah, so uh, in relation to that, so probably I'd say six months of the year I would dive in, yeah, just uh, just a, like full-length stinger suit, like a spearing stinger suit, two-piece. And um, uh, oh, it's only, yeah, probably oh, the rest of the year, I think I've got it like a Rob Allen thin skin, like a two-mil, two-piece, which I've had for about seven years. It's got holes all in it. I just, a bit of wetsuit glue and... Um, I don't love new gear. I'm not like a super gear guy. Like uh, I'll buy something reasonable quality and just sort of keep it. Um, but, yeah, I definitely put that wetsuit through its paces and put a 1,000 holes in it. But, yeah, that's all you sort of need for up there. Spear uh, gun? Spear gun, mate. Uh, Rob Allen. I'm a Rob Allen guy. Uh, yeah. I think when I was getting into it and listening to the podcast, a lot of the guys – I listened to one of your episodes. I think it was Richard Pillen's mm. The Mackerel Whisperer, I think you had. And that was one of my yeah. favourite episodes, by the way, but – uh, I'd love to see what he's doing these days, talk about the macro closures and stuff. But yeah. he was, you know, he said, I know a thousand guys, and it sort of resonated with him. I know a thousand guys that have, they've had a Rob Allen, they've gone back to, they've gone to a heap of different guns and they, uh, often they come back to them. Mm. You know, you, you, have, you buy one and you have it for 20 years, whatever. So I, uh, yeah, got myself, I think it was like a one, two Rob Allen was probably one of my first decent spear guns. I mean, I, I've got three Rob Allen spear guns. One of them is a one, two Samburu which I – is probably my – anything – if we're doing sort of shallow water, like isolated bombies, I'll use, I've got an 85 Rob Allen, which I use, uh, super versatile little gun, and then I've got my 1-2 Zamburu conventional guns. I converted them over actually, much to Trevor's uh, dismay. I remember listening to that in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I had this 1-2, I think, and I cut it down to an 85, I think it was. Yeah. I, was I said, I want to do this roller gun, and um, I took it into Adreno and – Trevor's Kitchen's like, what are you doing, mate? This is – just keep it as – it's a good gun. And I'm like, no, no, I want to try a roller. Converted the whole thing over to a roller. I think Wayne Judge built it for me actually. You know, of course, super knowledgeable. He loves his rollers and I'm like, yep, cool. And I, but I was running another Rob Allen conventional as well and Trevor's like, look, man, if you're not running – run them, run them the same. Didn't do it. Missed a thousand fish. Some cracking fish and I was I was shooting high with it. I had poor technique with it. I wasn't used to it. And so uh, – Humbly went back in there, apologised. Can you put it back for me, Trev? And he built it back for me. And so I've I've stayed as a conventional spear gun guy. I I took the advice, or I, I listened to uh, Tim, the owner of Adreno. He ha- he has a longer overhang than most people do on their spear guns. Five hundred, yeah, yeah. So I I did the same on all my guns. Okay. Uh, so all my guns have the same overhang now because I was sort of I did have a bit of. Oh, I lost some fish through poor aim or poor technique and I was like, man, I want to work on, on my shot process, uh, my technique and also eliminate listening to his podcast with you about, you know, having the different aim points with different overhangs and stuff. So I converted all my guns over and I have oh, – I must say that was great advice for me because, um, you know, I still miss the odd fish but yeah. uh, that's probably just through <laughs> stupidity. Uh, I think you, you – you take shots sometimes and you have a low degree of certainty. You just want the fish. Mm. And so you take a low probability, you know, what do we call it? A, you know, a pull and pray. <laughs> <laughs> and if we're honest, like, uh, you know, most of us to get some of the bigger fish and some of the smarter fish, like you, you, sometimes you are taking low percentage shots. Mm. It's not ideal. 
Like all of us, all of us hate wounding fish, but the you know the alternative between letting something swim away that you really want, or you know, pulling and praying so to speak, <laughs> is like the more appealing option. At least you can say you had a crack. I remember one time I was off um, Morton and this um, huge marlin's come in on me and these two other blokes. We all saw it, massive. And I- <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I must have pulled the trigger on this thing from like 10 metres away. <laughs> like it, it must have looked absolutely pathetic from the side. But, uh, you know, like that's just what you do. Part of it's an experience. I think it was way back in the day. But, um, mm. yeah, I'm sure some guys looked down on me still for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, we've all, we've all been there. But, like, yeah. yeah, bringing it back to the gear, I, I just find them super reliable. I run a, a USA latex rubber. I changed them over. I got some advice from a fella, um, a pretty good Spiro from up here, and he's like, oh, what do you run rubber-wise? Of course, Rob Allen's a good rubber, but he said, try this, just limited the recoil a fair bit, and man, it feels they all feel pretty smooth now, shooting with a USA latex. Trevor sort of helped me work out the sizes and, and, and advised me on that a little bit. Yeah. I thought USA latex was like some – like Condom brand or something. No, I thought it was a very <laughs> specific type of rubber, and then I found out like – I think there's like nested under that. There is like a whole bunch of different types of rubber. It's just kind of this brand that gets thrown over a whole bunch of different types. But obviously, you've got onto a consistent one that you like. Yeah, I just bought a whole roll of it basically, and and, and so can't even like I said, I'd, I'd have the pack somewhere, but I'm not a super gear guy. But uh, that can be a good way to reduce variability because if you buy like a twenty meter length, it's all been made in the same batch, so it's probably the same consistency. The problem you get with it is storing it and the age of it. How do you do that? Mate, got some advice early. I always store my rubbers in the freezer. They just live in – I've got like a small little chest freezer where all my fillets and that go and they, it, if it gets full and they're in the fridge and you've got to move the milk around with spear and rubbers, but definitely – and I've had – like even the Rob Allen rubbers, some of – like I'm conscious of my gear. I'm not a super gear guy, but I maintain – I maintain my gear meticulously. When I get home, I'm always cleaning it. You know, I oil my little – I oil my spears up. I'll put, I'll, oh, I'll, right. I'll put a little bit of, uh, you know, some sort of spray, silicon spray or whatever, in, a little bit in the mech. Uh, I don't store the rubbers on the guns. I, I clean them and put them in the fridge or in the freezer. Yeah. And I would have had – I drive every fortnight and I would have had a set – it would be two years. I would have rubbers lasting me for two years, mm. which I think is pretty good, pretty good going. I think there were two reasons why I got told off for using silicon spray in the mechs of guns, and one was because it's a friction-based mechanism, and the second one was like introducing pollutants into the ocean. But I'm not here to sit on a soapbox and give you a lecture <laughs> on a podcast for you know. But like, so I, I used to do the same thing, and then someone stopped me from doing it. And I and I, I don't know. I think mechs are made in such a way now that like fresh water is almost enough. But mm. it's interesting to hear you're doing it. I used to do it with my roll balance too. Funnily enough, so. Hmm. Yeah, I always oil them up, like with the spears and that. Like, I've had to replace a few spears and that, but just. What do you oil them with? What type of oil? It's like a bit of uh, WD 40 type of thing, like that. Uh, that even might be what I spray into the mech, but. Oh, yeah. In relation, you know, polluting <laughs> the ocean. I mean, I reckon my motor running for eight hours a day is probably polluting the ocean yeah. a little bit more than the tiny bit of that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I get it. It's, uh, but yeah, I just, as I said, having a firearms background and that, it was more just, yeah, just, just yeah. maintaining those things because, you know, that, uh, well, you, you take your rifle down the range and then you bring it home and you clean it mm. and uh, you're running solvent through it and you, you know, I've done it before like um, and rifles are like that firearms training is so much more precise than the 
the casual way in which we treat spear guns and yet we're, we're using them for a similar purpose, albeit underwater, and they work a lot different. But I think that training suits. But, yeah, we don't really have that in spearfishing unless you've come from that background, so it's a good thing. Mm. I just I think, you know, another point for me is I've spent time's precious these days. You know, you've got a family, spent a lot of time. There's limited weather windows, you spend a lot of money on boats and gear and stuff like that and, you you know, you get in front of the fish of a, not necessarily a lifetime and then your mech doesn't fire or, you know, you haven't cleaned your gun, your spear's so rusty. Like I know a lot of guys that will s- store their spear inside the mech in their guns and I'm like, oh, I, I, yeah, that's not me at all. I, I yeah. remove mine. I, I don't <clears throat> store them in there. I've had them rust before and, you know, ruining guns and having to go to extreme lengths to get them all cleaned back up and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to lose a fish of a lifetime over a, a little bit of effort I could have put in post the dive trip. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I'm hearing from you too is probably like you quite like old gear. It's a little bit like having an old car. It's like you you know what its faults are, you, you know where the points of failure are and then you just treat it. Sometimes you buy a brand new spear gun and you think it's going to be awesome and it probably is but you haven't worn it in, you haven't put some runs on the board and – so you've got sharp points on it that ruin your mono line. You've got, you know, all these things that you, you're not quite 100% on. And uh, so is that would that be true? Would that be fair? Yeah, mate, not a, not a super fan. Like I'll buy – I like spending money on quality gear, but I, I'm not – I don't like replacing it. it I, once I get used to something, I, I just – I get into – I'm a bit of a creature of habit with that sort of thing, whether it's the old wetsuit or, or you know, the, the same mechanism, the same guns, exactly what you're saying there. I'm uh, uh, not a big fan of, the new, of, of new stuff all the time. Yeah, righto. Cool. Cool. Um, fins. I didn't ask you about fins. Mate, penetrators, yep. Uh, yep. I think you're a penetrator guy, but uh, I got. I was looking at dive R's or penetrators a while yep. ago, and um, I think you were talking earlier about one of you, it was maybe your son bent your fin in half, but uh, I, lent, I lent a set of carbon fins. I think I had, I can't remember, the, they might have been Mares, a few hundred bucks carbon, decent fins, and I got a mate we dive with his... Mad Max, he's, he's an absolute lunatic, good diver, but just absolute lunatic and trashes your gear. And he yeah, he borrowed me fins. I was on the boat. I'm like, you can borrow them, just don't break them. And then he come up in about two minutes and they were snapped in half. And I'm like, for God's sake, you're killing me, brother. So anyway, I invested in a set of penetrators and uh, a couple of the water police uh, divers and that sort of had a bit of a relationship with the penetrator guys, Larry. Larry. And, um I think you might have sorted us out with a little bit of a deal on them, but uh, super great fin, just that longer blade. I haven't dived with dive R's. I know a lot of guys do, but for me, I just went with a medi- uh, set of medium stiffness. They seem to work quite well for me. Yeah. Uh, not a super big guy, but half half fit sometimes. So, yeah, I don't have the perfect technique for a soft set of fins, but yeah, yeah. That, they I couldn't, I couldn't speak highly enough of those fins. I chatted with Larry ages ago about the fin stiffness scale that we have because I think it's pretty crude. We we have this this rubric that says soft, medium, hard. And I go, really? We've got three grades of rigidity for our blades. I said, it, it's not enough and it, it doesn't actually adequately represent what the offerings are on the market. I said, the scale should be one to seven. So you have one to three soft four to six medium, and then seven's hard, which none of us really ever use these days anymore. It's quite uncommon to see people with hard fins because even with like dive R and penetrator fins, you, you will see huge variability in the mediums. Like 
Lariat penetrator does T300s, T500s, and T700s. They're all carbon fiber fins. They're all very different. And I said, so, you know, like you might be a medium, but you might be like a guy that's like a four medium. You're right on that edge, that cusp point of like a soft and a medium. And I would love to see a bit more done in that space with regards to how we think about them because I'm a bit like you. Like I like a bit of power out of the hole and my fitting technique is by no means a perfect freediver. I've got, you know, cartilage missing in my knees and I'm a bigger bloke, but it's good enough that I want to use a fairly soft fin, mm. but I don't think I'm like a European soft performance freediving fin type guy because some of those fins are beautiful and they just they look like a bit of paper cutting through the water but they've got nothing in it out of the hole when you want to pull a, a struggling fish up mm. out of the depths. So um, anyway, but yeah, I like Larry. He's got that emergency services background too, which is yeah, he's good lad. probably why he looks after you guys, so that's awesome. Mm, probably. Now, I remember just, just touching on the uh, feeding technique there, mate. Remember when you – I think you might add Tim McDonald on you. <laughs> you back. <laughs> You remember well, I do remember. You bagged fuck out of him about his spinning technique. I'm like, holy shit, he didn't know that. <laughs> I remember doing it at the time. I watched one of his vids and I thought, I was starting to learn a little bit about it. <laughs> good pickup, very good pickup, very astute. I, uh, I, I, I almost blushed when, it, when, oh, he, when he reacted fuck. to it. But because um, I was like, who the fuck am I to, to critique, <laughs> I you know, him? But then, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, like, and I think with, with everyone, though, we've all got these weaknesses. And uh, I was learning a lot about finning technique at the time. I remember watching one of his vids and I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, but you, sometimes you think, like, guys, some of these guys are perfect, but none of us are. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, he, he he didn't like it. <laughs> it was awkward, eh? Oh, bro, uh, I was like, did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, my whole life is that, eh? I wonder sometimes how I've gotten away uh, with 230 episodes. I've said some clumsy <laughs> shit over the years. <laughs> Oh, mate, uh, that's uh, – yeah, that, sorry to digress there, mate. No, I love was, uh, it. I had to love bring it. that up because I was like, man, I remember that and I was like, holy shit. Love it. Nah, it's good. You're right, Andy. I bloody uh, – mate, I've put my foot in my mouth so many times. Jeepers. This podcast is brought to you by aqualite.com.au. This is the best solution bar none for staying hydrated in the ocean. If you're a Spiro – it's an absolute no-brainer. It's a game-changer. If you're doing extended trips and the cramp starts to set in and uh, the old body's telling you, hey, that's enough, just get hydrated and it will save you a whole heap of woe. It's a groundbreaking product that can help you to stay hydrated. It's got low sugar. It's less acidic than other options on the market. It's rapid absorption, help you to maintain performance. Dehydration of just one to 2% can affect your mental and physical performance by up to six or 7%. And as when you're spearfishing, you can tell when dehydration is starting to affect you because the equalization goes out the window. Get Aqualite at aqualite.com.au. It's scientific rehydration that Spiros know and trust. I know because one works there, and that's why we've set up this discount code for you. 10% off when you use the code NoobSpiro at aqualite.com.au. Check it out. Australian-made hydration products tailored for Spiros and a whole bunch of other people that suffer from dehydration too. But check it out at aqualite.com.au. Use the code NoobSpiro to save 10%. Imagine on your last spearfishing trip, your best mate never comes up from his last dive and dies from a blackout. 
Picture having to tell their family, spouse, and kids that their loved one died on your watch and knowing their death could have been prevented simply by being near them when they surfaced. Unfortunately, I've had many people reach out to me over the years and share exactly what that was like. I can't imagine anything worse than this. If you want to make sure this doesn't happen to you, simply commit to diving safer. My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of Immersion Freediving, and I want to do more to stop the needless fatalities from blackout than any other person on the planet. And that's why I created freedivingsafety.com. If you want to learn how to reduce your risk of having a blackout, how to save your buddy's life, sign up for my free course at freedivingsafety.com. It is not a substitute for an in-person course, but it's free, comes from a trusted and reliable source, and you can start learning immediately. One month after launching this course, Aspiro called me and said he saved his buddy's life just from going through the course. His buddy blacked out underwater. He was able to recognize the signs immediately and was able to save his life. Jeremy Gamble, founder of Aspiro Magazine, said since he started hunting in cooperative teams, they put way more fish in the cooler than they ever did competing against each other. Dive safe out there. It's not even that hard, especially when you can learn for free at freedivingsafety.com. Hey, buddy. How's your breath all going? Really? You struggling? I do too sometimes. And that's why I've got something perfect for you today. I think you'll agree with me when I say that maintaining or even increasing your breath hold is a struggle, especially when you're not slaying fish every week. But what if I told you there was a way to train yourself easily and do it safely? Freediving for spearfishers at howtofreedive.com will help you to extend your breath hold understand your body better and put you in a better position when you actually get to go out spearfishing. This program, Freediving for Spearfishers, is not for noobs. Uh, it's for people who have some diving under their belts and understand basic spearfishing safety. But it's perfect for spearos who want a guided, easy to follow and complete program with videos, a clear process and a set goal. The goal is a five minute static. And check it out, Freediving for Spearfishers at howtofreedive.com. You can get started for free, do the taster, and if you do decide to purchase, use the code NOOBSPEARO, N-O-O-B-S-P-E-A-R-O, to save some money if you do decide to purchase. Check it out at howtofreedive.com. We're coming near the back end of this. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about your podcast, like what your vision is, where you want to go with it. But um, was there anything else we kind of missed in your spearfishing background that you wanted to share about? Yeah, just on the gear front, like I think you mentioned once before, or one of your guests, you said, oh, don't go dressing up like a Christmas tree. And I think that's a really good analogy, like work out what works for you. But I'm a, like, I've always tried to be as minimalistic as possible. I drive with two knives. I know just for safety, you know, having two knives, I think that is a good uh, accessible, the two knives. That's one one of the big things I always dive with. And um, one other point, actually, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind sort of raising and I – having a bit of a commercial background with the dive protocols that we have in commercial diving, you will always surface with your hand above your head because you don't know what's above you. You might swim inside a log. Mm. You might fucking put your hand underneath the prop as you're coming up, that sort mm. of thing. And it's also in the spearfishing side of things, I would naturally do that coming up and the boys are like, oh, well, how come you're surfacing with your hand above your head? And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. it's a throwback to just what I know. But I think if you're looking at me and you and I'm healthy and I'm feeling good on the way up, I'm conscious enough to – I'm placing my hand above my head and if I don't have my hand above my head, then start thinking, okay, why – what's going on here? Is there yeah. a problem? So then it's sort of relayed that through the crew of boys that we dive with and they'll all dive with their hand above their heads and 
yeah, it's a gross motor skill, but the very first thing that goes if I'm struggling to pull a fish out of a hole or something and I'm fitting really hard, I notice I don't put my hand above my head and then all of a sudden it's almost like a cue for the boys, oh, hang on. So it sort of cues them on yeah. and I think that's, you know, it's a very subtle type of thing but now if those boys don't have their hand above the head, I might swim down. Even just like Lex, Lexi taught me a couple of good things there. I noticed with him he will put his hand, he'll swim down and as you're coming up, like if you're fighting a, a big fish or pulling it out of a hole, all of a sudden you'll just feel like a hand on your shoulder yeah. And he's like, hey, mate, I'm here, I'm here. You know, it's okay. Are you, oh, yeah, like, nice. So, and I said, man, why do you do that? And he's like, mate, I just feel it's just a bit of encouragement. As you're coming back up, I'm here. I got you. Worry about your fish or whatever. I'm watching for sharks, but I'm here. And he sort of guides you back up. And I'm like, so if the guys, for me, if the guys don't have their head above their head when they're coming back up, sometimes they might forget, but generally now it's a habit for them. Yeah, nice. I'm like, hey, okay, maybe it's time to get down. Just, you know, give them the signal. Are you okay? Yeah, oh, I'm okay. I forgot to do that, whatever come to the surface, do your rescue, you know, do your recovery breaths. And then, yeah, that was just one little pointer that I think works really well for us. And yeah, it might be something that whatever you have, you know, I think all dive people will have different things, some some good, yeah. some bad. But yeah, it seems to work quite well for us. Yeah. So, yeah. I like it. And obviously the obvious advantage, like if you're swimming straight into the fair, into the hull of the boat, 100%. head first, you're going to hit it with your hand first. 100%. And if the boat is moving and you put your hand in the prop, well, you know, at least you didn't lose your head. You just that's lost right. your arm. That's the idea behind it. Uh, <laughs> we've all got good boaties. That yeah, Mad Max again, he uh, it's a common occurrence for him to pretty much run you over every time, so hand above your head. <laughs> Mate, I hate a shit boatie, eh? Hey? Oh, some, some, some blokes, it's inexperienced and you just got to go like, oh, mm. and just teach him. But mm. some guys are just shit. Um all yeah. mad, yeah, all mad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I wouldn't yeah. say this bloke's a shit, buddy. He's just, mad. he's just freaking mad. He just likes to cut a tight line. Goes hard. So he yeah. doesn't want you swimming too far back to the boat to throw a fish over. And it's not his boat, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, mate. Andy, cracker chat today. Um, but tell us a little bit about the podcast. Like, um, first of all, where can people find it, mate? Yeah, so it comes. It's uh, every fortnight. It comes out. Um, it's a bit of a mix, outdoor lifestyle sort of between the, like the Spiros, bow hunting guys, fishing fanatics, and a few adventure guys, like you said before, I've had on. So just a uh, bit of a mix of yeah, all things that I'm sort of interested in. And uh, I've found a crossover uh, between a lot of Spiros now who seem to be taking up bow hunting. It's, you know, I mm. guess it's it's sort of like spearfishing, you know, bow hunting is almost like spearfishing, but above the water, uh, that whole process of, of harvesting your own meat and all those sort of things. I think there's a definitely a crossover and I've seen more and more people in the spearing world starting to sort of uh, digress into some bow hunting stuff, mm. um, which which I, I can resonate with. So, uh, yeah, every fortnight it comes out. Um, it was just through a love of, of, of all these things, outdoors and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, basically just a mix, like I said, not, not straight spearfishing, but just a mix of uh, – experienced people and people that enjoy the outdoors and stuff like that. So hopefully yeah, it sort of resonates with people across the border. I, I try to target it to – if you're not a Spiro, you may still listen to it because, you know, there are similarities between between the two and stuff like that. And, yeah, it's feedback so far has been okay. So so Stalk Outdoors Podcast? Yep, Stalk Outdoors Podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, that type of thing, uh, as regular sort of uh, wherever you find them. And your Instagram too, which um – You've, you're doing a bit of target shooting on there, I can see. Yeah, mate, trying to – like with the difference, I guess, with archery or bow hunting with spearfishing, it's heavily focused. Yes, there's still all the hunting techniques and all that stuff, but 
I would say the focus on becoming a good shot is probably a, is a lot harder in bow hunting than it probably is in spearfishing, although you've got to hold your breath to do it. Yeah. So a lot of training and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm shooting my bow every day if I can. Um, Did you listen to that Joel Turner Shot IQ podcast on Rogan? Well, it's funny you should say that, mate, because I interviewed him this week oh. and he's incredible. He is incredible. He's a friggin' – I started thinking so – like a, a mate of mine, Tom, sent it from Coffs and he sent that to me like it, it, he said it was intriguing. And then it got me thinking about a whole bunch of stuff with the way we shoot even with spearfishing. And uh, it was an archery guy but mm. like there was a lot in it for us as a Spearos too, I reckon. So when's that interview going to drop, you think? Mate, it's a four-part USA special. So um, yeah, got some, some of the bigger guys – uh, from over there coming on, which has been really great. And he was – I had to listen to that podcast three times to understand 100% what he was actually talking yeah. about because there was so much in it. That guy's very yeah, advanced. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, if you haven't listened to that one, he's super, super – it's all about shot processes yep. and your basically – Your process. Yeah, the neuro-linguistic programming. Yep. Yeah, conscious in the shot process, really, to stop yep. target panning. So – uh, yeah, super good guy and very lucky to have him on. So that one's coming out and pretty excited about that because, yeah, it was a pretty cool chat and the opportunity to, to talk to someone like that was yeah, was uh, pretty stoked. So. Cheapest, that was, uh, that was a cool mention then. So Stalk Outdoors podcast, go and subscribe to Andy, give him some love and uh, say, stay tuned for that Joel Turner podcast. He's a bow hunter, but honestly, like, he will change the way you think about these very fine motor skill processes that we often do intuitively when we should be far more intentional, especially when you're learning something. And then all of a sudden you are able to troubleshoot and perfect processes that are otherwise unconscious. And I I got that out of him and I really, really enjoyed thinking a bit more about lots of those sorts of things that I do in my life. So awesome, brother. Andy, mate, I've had a, I've had a ball. I really hope people come and find your podcast and, uh, mate, we're going to, do a show together in a bit, I hope, and then uh, I'll have one up on yours as well. Thank you very much for having me on, mate. Uh, as I said, I've been following the show for a long time. Definitely uh, very grateful for your podcast and I think I sort of spoke about you uh, with you about this off air, but it becomes part of people's lives and I feel like I've known you for bloody 10 years. I've been fanboying you forever. As I said, you're much better looking in real life, brother. <laughs> But, yeah, it's a, I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate the service that you've done for the spearfishing community and Spearos around uh, around the world, really, mate. But, uh, yeah, thanks for what you do. You've been, yeah, 230 episodes odd. I uh, hope you keep doing it because, uh, yeah, as I said, it becomes it's definitely come part of my life. I look forward to it every, every fortnight and, and whenever they come out. And thanks so much for having me on. Cheers, brother. Thanks, Andy. Legend. Hey legends, Andy from the Stork Outdoors Life. What a champion. I gotta tell you, the Stork Outdoors podcast is making me froth. I am enjoying listening to it. He's got some skills. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about Andy and kind of what he's about. He's uh, an absolute gentleman in real life. I'm looking forward to getting into the water with him at some stage. So um, hey, but it doesn't end here. In two weeks time, I'm off to chat with a bloke who has 2.3 million YouTube subs. You might know who I'm talking about. His name's Lenny Logsdale, and you probably better know him as the Aquatic Ape on YouTube. Uh, living over in Indo, living the life, Lenny was an absolute champion. I'm looking forward to 
sharing that interview with you in a couple of weeks. Hey, um, guys, legends, thanks for listening to the Noose Barrow Podcast. As usual, I know a bunch of you have left reviews on Spotify. I saw 196 five-star reviews on there. Uh, I, I always enjoy it when people are getting value out of the podcast. Thank you so much for your reviews and sharing the podcast with your mates. It makes a huge difference for the way the podcast grows, and it's only because of legends like you that I'm still around making this sucker. So thank you very much. For those of you that want to take that extra step and support the podcast at an even greater level, you can join 40 other frothers uh, at patreon.com forward slash noobsparrow. Support the podcast on an episode by episode basis, directly putting fuel in the noobsparrow outboard. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash noobsparrow. Otherwise, hey, come back in two weeks' time. Aquatic Ape, Lenny Logsdale. I'm loving making this podcast still, guys. And uh, thank you so much for subscribing and sharing the love. All good. I'll see you in two weeks. Adreno stocks equipment for noobers. The gear you need for all things freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team froth on helping customers learn about the latest in spearfishing equipment, local diving, upcoming trips and events for spearos of all levels of experience. There's no ego in there. You're going to meet cool people that love this spearing lifestyle as much as you do. Visit them in store in one of their huge mega stores around Australia. Chat to one of their friendly team members. Take advantage of the Noob Spiro discount code. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 in store, online, easy savings. Pump in the code Noob Spiro if you're shopping online or in store. Mention it to one of their friendly team members and save $20 over $200. That's right, use the code Noob Spiro in store. Shop with Adreno, our partner for more than 200 episodes. Are you US based looking for freediving, spearfishing gear? Neptonics is the best. Their online website, so easy to use. If you've got any questions, Jerry and the team answer questions via phone, email. Anyway, they've got an easy contact form on the site. Uh, these guys are absolute legends. And uh, if they sell it, they believe in it, they back it, they use it themselves. It's tough gear that works. Visit neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on any order at neptonics.com. Com. That's right, use the code NOOB10, N-O-O-B-10 on your next order. Save 10% at neptonics.com. Mm-hmm.